Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Welcome to It's Okay to Say Gay. I'm Andy Eganthorpe. Famie is in Las Vegas. Hopefully she's winning lots of money so she's not here today but i am not alone i'm joined by podcast producer jill webb hey andy hey jill now jill i know i'm a little older than you (coughs) just a little bit um but (laughs) do you remember or know what my little ponies are of course well as a child of the 80s i was obsessed and looking back i think it was one of those first like gay traits that i had And it's because My Little Ponies were designated a quote-unquote girl's toy. So, like, I knew from a really early age that this toy wasn't supposed to be played with by me. Yeah, I definitely had that experience playing with my brother's toys and, you know, them not being for girls, but I still wanted to play with them. I also kind of hated that whole boys will be boys mentality where they can run around, but all the girls are supposed to stay after and help clean the table and clean everything up and, you know, be pristine and neat when I was not either of those things. (laughs) Well, part of growing up includes learning more about yourself and that can include exploring what gender means. When a girl wants to paint her pink bedroom black, parents will say she's just growing into her own person. Same idea when their son wants to swap soccer for theater. But sometimes even the most well-intentioned parents don't know how to react when their child wants to redefine what gender means to them. And that includes parents who are LGBTQ. While less likely, psychologists say they can also handle things wrong when their child announces they are trans or non-binary. I was super curious about what a parent should do in that situation. Not that I plan on having kids anytime soon, but I turned to the experts to learn. Do listeners have a sense as to where I'm coming in from? Do I need to introduce myself? That's psychotherapist Benjamin Davis. He says step one is creating space for conversation. I hope most most parents are talking about gender. Gender is something that is relevant for all of us, whether you have a non-binary or transgender young person or not. Benjamin is also the co-author of Gender, What Everyone Needs to Know. He says conversations about a child's gender can start really early. When we're expecting a child, it's really the first question that's asked. We're, we're, we're asking about sex not gender at that point. We're asking about the fetus, but we're asking, are you having a boy or a girl? And that question shapes not just what am I expecting this body to look like, but it also starts to shape my expectations about who this person might be and what they might like. And so gender is really a part of all of our stories 
from before we're born. And as kids grow, even if you think gender is not on their radar, you may be surprised. I think oftentimes the kids are way ahead of us and that they're the ones who are able to explain this and uh, digest this and understand this in some ways quicker and better than us. They've had had less time on the planet with those very strict gender roles imposed on them. There's a common myth that talking about gender will push kids to be transgender. Again, it's a myth. This is not a conversation that in any way will make a young person trans. It might make them more empathic. It might make them more communicative. It might make them a better friend. In the future, it might make them a better boss. It might make them a better worker. But. He says, undeniably, conversations do help stimulate a process of self-reflection. What does it mean to be a boy or a girl? What kind of boy or girl am I? Am I not a boy or girl? Am I something else? Um, So we're giving young people access to language and we're giving young people access to a diverse student body if they're in school with other trans or non-binary kids. But In terms of that identity being imposed and internalized as their own, we don't see that happening. So, how should parents react when their child tells them they're trans or non-binary? The hope is that regardless of our level of education and our exposure to trans and non-binary individuals, that we're staying curious with our kids, that we're being accepting, we're not being judgmental, we're not assuming that this is anything wrong. And for a young person, they might be putting the pieces together and be really excited to finally figure this out. Parent support is essential. The Trevor Project agrees. It found being a supportive parent makes a big difference in terms of mental health. It found LGBTQ youth who reported high levels of family support were half as likely to have suicidal thoughts. That's compared to those with less support. And queer young adults with less family acceptance? Well, Research shows they're more likely to suffer from depression and substance abuse. The lack of family acceptance is also linked to lower self-esteem and social support. So, what does it mean to be an accepting parent? When we see parents listening, holding space, talking with their kids, whether or not they're running to the doctor to initiate a medical transition. That's not what we're talking about. We're just talking about an accepting parent believing who their child says they are. So the research shows that acceptance is the most protective factor for childhood mental health issues amongst trans and non-binary young people. Coming out as trans, non-binary, or questioning is a huge step for kids, but it's also major for parents. Some parents really struggle. So sometimes in my practice, I see trans and non-binary kids, although not all trans and non-binary kids need therapy. 
often I'm actually working more and more with the parents and helping the parents hold space for this in the home and have the resources that they need to make sure that they can do the advocacy and the education and navigating questions and concerns like coming out to extended family or talking to school or talking to their kids. Parents often have a ton of questions. That's why finding the right resources is essential. That can include other parents. These support groups are opportunities for parents to ask some of the hard questions that they're thinking about that it may not be developmentally appropriate for them to bring up with a young person, their child. So for instance, if a five or six or seven-year-old is coming out to their parents as transgender or non-binary, medical decision-making is very abstract at that point for the young person. It's not something that they need to think about for many years. So what should a parent know about handling these moments? For starters, it's important to be on the same page. Be patient with this. Sometimes young kids don't have the language to articulate what they mean, or they don't understand everything yet, but want to communicate something is happening. Coming out as trans or non-binary can mean so many different things, even if the child is the same age, one to another. But age and uh, various developmental milestones are going to shape the conversations, particularly if medical intervention is something that the child feels they need. And not all trans and non-binary kids need or want medical intervention. These discussions often become more nuanced with age. Puberty marks a change in the way we might approach conversations. So pre-puberty, when there are very little medical interventions that a young person is eligible for, coming out as trans or non-binary is going to mean exploring gender, staying open, staying fluid. We may think about a social transition. So that might be if a child asks to change their name or their pronoun, they might ask to cut their hair or grow their hair or change clothing. He says when thinking about medical interventions, start with asking questions. Is this something the child wants? Are they experiencing gender dysphoria? Are they eligible for gender affirming medical care? So the very first medical intervention that a child is typically eligible for is puberty blockers, puberty suppressants, and that can't start until after a young person has hit puberty. So all of the years before that, we're not making any irreversible changes, and even puberty suppressing medications are thought to be largely reversible in nature. Another thing parents ask is when should they share the details of their child? It's really going to differ from child to child, and we want to make sure that we are checking in with our child and asking them if they're ready to come out to grandma and grandpa or teacher or their entire class. They may not be there. They may want to explore and embody their their gender, their authentic self at home and amongst very specific groups of friends or parts of the family, but may not not yet be ready to have that more widespread coming out. Outside of home, most kids spend the majority of their time at school, which means schools need to understand how important their roles are. Data shows 75% 
of trans students feel unsafe at school. As adults, it's really our responsibility to put those building blocks in order and make sure that when a child comes into the conversation, we've already done a lot of the heavy lifting to make sure that the resources are in place, teachers have been trained. With other relatives or friends, let kids guide the way. We want to make sure we're checking in with the child and clarifying with them, grandma does know or grandma doesn't know, or how would you like me to tell grandma, grandpa, aunt, uncle, or someone else? Parents should also be aware of the abundance of anti-trans rhetoric. There are a lot of anti-trans bills right now that are meant to keep trans youth out of public society, right? We're limiting access to affirming medical care. We're limiting access to peer groups, their ability to play on sports teams. And these anti-trans bills are clearly affecting young people in states where that legislation is unfolding. And it's taking a mental toll on trans people. For young people wanting to explore gender further than conversations with family, Access to learning resources is crucial. Sometimes it's easier to learn through books rather than a person who might not have the answers. When I was in school, if we wanted to learn more about a subject, we were taught to go to the library and check out a book. But today, there's one glaring problem. Book bans. And that effort to ban books is leading to some heated debates at schools. I took a look at the American Library Association's State of the Libraries report. It tracked 729 challenges to school, library, and university materials and services last year. Those challenges resulted in the removal of over 1,500 books, many of which were by or about Black or LGBTQ people. Now, Not all libraries are going to have what a person needs, especially when it comes to diverse titles. But a service called Our Shelves is working to fill those gaps. Our Shelves is a LGBTQ and other diverse kids' book subscription service and advocacy effort. That's Allie Harper, the founder of Our Shelves. And the idea for starting Our Shelves really came from a personal place of my two kids, who are now nine and three, have two moms. And when we had our first child, we were surprised, maybe we shouldn't have been, but we were surprised at how hard it was to find age appropriate and high quality kids books for her that both affirmed her two mom family. This wasn't just a problem for Allie's family. We were asking everybody, what books do you know about? What books do you have? And we realized we weren't alone in looking for these books. And so we started asking to try to understand why these books were so hard to find. They discovered two major issues in the children's publishing industry. The first problem is that there aren't enough high quality LGBTQ and other diverse kids books, period. There's a huge audience that these books could serve. To start, more than half the babies in this country are now babies of color. And then also on the LGBTQ front, there's almost 10 million LGBTQ plus millennials who are considering growing their families. There's more than 12 million allied millennial moms who would want these diverse kids books. So we're talking millions and millions. And even though there's not enough diverse books, 
The second problem was that actually there were more books than we thought, but too often the books can be too hard to find for busy families, teachers, and librarians. Think about how busy parents are. They may not have the time to track down new books perfect for their families. If I can't find that book, then the sales underperform. And if the sales underperform, then we're sending a message to publishers or they're receiving a message that's false that people that there aren't enough people who want these books. So our shelves is meant to try to correct that. If we can connect these books to more of their audience and increase the sales, we can start to prove to publishers that there's this enormous audience for these books. Our shelves is doing that through a subscription service. We curate review high-quality, diverse kids' books, and then deliver them to the doorsteps of busy families, teachers, and librarians. They have a diverse group sourcing their book picks. It's majority LGBTQ, majority people of color, with wide-ranging background from academia to child development to teaching, parenting, psychology, development of bias. Our Shelves curates for readers ages 0 to 8. Really important formative years. Here's an example of a book kids might get. Mr. Watson's Chickens is a super silly story about Mr. Watson and Mr. Nelson, a gay couple who raise chickens and the chickens hatch and hatch and many, many chickens. And this has been one of our favorite books because it's so silly and so funny and so sweet and playful. The illustrator, Andrea Sarumi, is LGBTQ. You really see how important it is to have LGBTQ authors and illustrators making these books because you really see an incredible amount of references beyond the story that's funny and playful and silly. You know, you see a variety of gender expressions, you see a variety of pronouns used. These stories can be vehicles to help children understand themselves. I recently heard from a member who had been a member for a couple of years and just wrote a note to say thank you so much. My kid just shared that they're non-binary and and this parent felt like it was really important. One of the pieces that was important was for this child to feel affirmed and seeing that books in the home and conversation in the home and characters in the books were celebrated and discussed and playful just to see that representation. She felt like that was part of her child's journey in sharing that they were non-binary. It's one thing to feature diverse characters. Impact is taken a step further when there's a variety of storylines. Often the way marginalized communities are first depicted in kids' books is through what we sometimes call oppression stories about overcoming oppression. You know, maybe it's a homophobic neighbor, whatever the case might be. And those books are important, of course. And also, we also need a wide variety of representation. We need the silly, funny, playful. After story time, Our Shelves continues dialogue. The book boxes include postcards with discussion questions. The discussion questions can be helpful to open up conversation on these topics and provide some language. Part of Our Shelf's mission is to get more of these types of books published. One is that we're always asking our community, what are you looking for that you can't find in terms of who's missing on your shelves? What types of stories are missing on your shelves? We have an advocacy page on our website where people can share and get involved in our advocacy, share who's missing. And we communicate that to publishers. So we're trying to educate publishers on the holes in the marketplace. Allowing a child to feel seen through books can protect their mental health. Whether kids feel affirmed and respected and worthy as people has life or death consequences. I mean, we see for this episode, we're talking about the LGBT community. So just in that community, I mean, we see increased suicide rates, bullying rates, and many other indicators that really show the life or death consequences of when kids don't feel 
affirmed and valued as the beautiful human beings that they are. It can also help them avoid developing prejudice. Bias starts much earlier in childhood than many of us might guess. So the research is clear that kids actually notice race-based differences at three to six months of age, and that as early as two years old are internalizing bias. So children's books, diverse children's books, becomes one way to show, affirm, open age-appropriate discussion around bias that can help establish that baseline from early childhood that there are many different kinds of kids, many different kinds of families. Highlighting intersectionality is especially important because it shows kids they aren't just defined by one trait. More than half the families, in the, or more than half the kids in the LGBTQ community are actually kids of color. So that's another area where the industry, we just need to do a lot of advocating because the books don't yet at all represent that lived reality of so many people. Obviously, books can help kids learn. Books can do the same for adults. But in order to learn, doctors say parents have to let go of ego. And when they make a mistake or are uneducated on a topic, they have to be open to the learning experience. I think even when we're really well-intentioned and sometimes even when we have a great deal of experience, when it's our kid, it might come it might become very overwhelming. And so sure, someone might slip up a name or a pronoun. After all, we've been telling ourselves a story about gender, usually since before this child even entered the world. And so to change those scripts does take some time. This process may include sadness. For some parents, there's a great deal of loss or grief in the process. That's a parent's journey to go on. There's a lot of help and support to help them grieve. That doesn't need to be the child's experience. The child's experience, we can protect that as being something that's exciting and authentic and true for themselves. In terms of messing up, it, it's true, it's going to happen. I think the most important thing is for a parent to acknowledge it, to 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 just notice when they do make a mistake, to talk about it with their, their child, to work, to figure out a system to not do it again, and then to not do it again. Ben says parents should also remember how fluid gender can be. I will say that it's a myth that non-binary is a stopping point and route to a more binary self-identification. Many people do identify as binary men or women, and many transgender people identify as binary men or women. So, if your kid is non-binary, don't automatically assume it's a stepping stone to transitioning. There are a number of people who are simply non-binary and will stay non-binary for the rest of their lives. Gender often isn't a linear process. And so for parents who are wondering, are we going to see another change in a couple years? I think the best advice I have is to remain open and to continue the conversation, but to really make sure we're letting the child have space to tell us who they are. We can't really write the script ahead of time. If we could, it would make things a lot easier, but we just, we just can't, we don't, we don't know.
I want to circle back to what he said about school. Kids are getting ready to go back to school. And for LGBTQ students, that can come with additional stress. I'm going to list some resources in the episode description for anyone who might need it. Oh, gosh, I remember back to school time. Thinking about it now, back to school shopping is a perfect time to maybe bring your kid to the library and check out some of those diverse titles. Thanks so much for listening to It's Okay to Say Gay. If you're enjoying our series, please rate and review us. You can find It's Okay to Say Gay in the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts from. It's Okay to Say Gay is a special production of 1010 Wins and WCBS News Radio 880. Special thanks to producer Dempsey Pillot, Jill Webb, who wrote and produced this episode, and I worked as the audio engineer. Famy Redwood is the managing producer of podcasts. Tim Scheld is the WCBS News Radio 880 brand manager. Ben Meverack is the 1010 Wins brand manager. And I'm Andy Eganthorpe. Thank you so much for listening. Now with the MLB app, you can get baseball your way. Pick your favorite team, your favorite players, and get customized highlights, stories, and breaking news right on your home feed. Follow the action with Game Tip, where 3D replays add another dimension. Plus, notifications can keep you connected to every pitch, every hit, every game. The MLB app. Baseball, your way. Download it now for free from the App Store or Google Play. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trade parts used with permission.